Good morning, everyone. Good morning. You guys are still daylight savings, aren't you? (laughs) Normally, you're still asleep. Well, it is great to be here with you this morning. Pastor Mike is at Ocean View Baptist Church in San Pedro this morning. He'll be there this morning and tonight. Uh, One of his good friends, Jacques Molineau, is the senior pastor there. And they are having a family life weekend, and they invited him to speak. He is very good at speaking on things like that. So he is there, and I am here, and so are you. So let's open the word together. We are in Galatians chapter 5 this morning. You can go ahead and turn there now. One of my very favorite passages of the Bible. So I am very excited. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And this really is a phenomenal number of verses. Go ahead and stand with me when you get there. And we will read God's word together. Here we go. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. God, we need your Spirit. We needed it before, we need it now, and we will need it for the rest of our life, God. I pray that your spirit would work now in our hearts and through this passage to make us more like Christ and to let us worship and exalt you. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Galatians is one of the shorter books in the New Testament. It's written by Paul, and it is very similar to the book of Romans, a book that a lot of people like. Galatians is very, very similar in theme. It's like the cliff notes of Romans. And the main theme is a contrast throughout the book between faith and works. In the Galatian church, there was a controversy. There was sort of a false gospel that was being spread by a group of people known as Judaizers. They were proclaiming a false gospel really similar to a number of false gospels that are proclaimed in the world today. The idea was that they loved to talk about faith in Christ You need to have faith in order to be saved. They would have said, yes, 
you know, thumbs up and faith in Christ specifically, they were good with all of that, but they wanted to add something along to that. You need, in order to be saved, faith in Christ, but what you need to do is to add along with your faith in Christ good works, keeping the law. Specifically, circumcision was one of the things that they were arguing about. Whether in order to be saved, you needed to have faith and be circumcised. And it's kind of a tricky gospel because they, all of the things that we would talk about, faith in Christ, they loved to go along too. They just wanted to add something to it, right? Faith is good. It'll be a little bit better with some works, right? M&Ms are good. Peanut butter M&Ms, even better. You know this to be true. And that was the idea. And it was wrong. Paul spent the beginning of chapter 5 making sure that they knew, again, that this is wrong. And the whole book really is about this. He's saying in verse 3, I testify again, every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Look, if you want to be justified by keeping some of the law, then the only way you're going to be justified is to keep all of the law. And that just won't do because you can't do that. Salvation is by grace through faith. And that's it. And that is the point of Galatians. And those two things are what are contrasted throughout the book. And in our chapter, we get a contrast that is very, very similar in theme. It just has slightly different wording. Our passage is a contrast between the Spirit and the flesh. They are opposed to each other. They are at odds. And ultimately, I think this passage is explaining what the Spirit-led life looks like. Explains the Spirit-led life. And ultimately, I think if you just looked at verse 16, that is... That is the main point, I think. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so we're going to have three different things we're going to look at. A command, a contrast, and a challenge. That's it. Command, contrast, challenge. The command is really simple. There's only one in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Flesh is really an excellent way to translate this word. Flesh, it's, it's the word for the, I don't know, the fleshy part of you. I wish I had less of that part on me. But, theologically, what we mean when we use this term is it's referring to your unredeemed humanity. That's what flesh is talking about. The part of you that has not been redeemed. In order to understand this, we need to understand sort of what is going on with you as a believer over time. Before you were a believer, you were sinful. You are sinful now, I suppose. But you are lost in sin, and at the moment you became saved, a number of things happened. The Bible talks about all kinds of them. You were reconciled to God. You were given life by the Spirit. You were adopted into the household of God. You were given the future hope of heaven. You were given the Holy Spirit to, who indwells you. 
A number of things happened. But one of the things that happens is that you were given a new nature. The inside of you changed. And I told you Galatians was similar to Romans. So go ahead and turn to Romans 6. This is going to be... Romans 6, we're going to turn back here a couple of times. This is sort of our cross-reference du jour. Cross-reference of the day. Sounds good. But it starts off, Romans 6, with this picture of salvation. It's talking about justification. It's talking about when you were, the point in time when you were justified. And it uses, wouldn't you know it, baptism. The last two weeks, you've seen some baptisms on Sunday morning. We had 15 people over the last two weeks be baptized. And I got to be in the water for a couple of them, which is always very cool. I got a front row seat. I'm in the splash zone. It's pretty awesome. But I, I get to explain what baptism is, and we want to make it very clear. This doesn't save you. This isn't necessary in order to make it to, salvation, in order to, make it to heaven. But it's, a, it's an act of obedience. It's a public declaration of identity with Christ, and it is a picture of salvation. It's a picture when you go under the water and come up of dying and rising with Christ. And we get that from Romans 6. talks about that. Do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that is exactly what you have as a believer, newness of life. You have died. It goes later to talk about how uh, we know that our old self, verse 6, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And so your body of sin has been crucified when you were saved. That happened. It's done. And yet, though you have this new nature, there is still a struggle inside of you. You all know this to be true. Because while you have this new nature, your old nature has been crucified, you are now alive in Christ you still have your flesh. You are still living in a body and in a world that has been corrupted by sin and that affects you. It's funny to think about that. It's almost like there's a, there's a sickness with your body and in the world that is somehow still having a bearing on your soul. All this good stuff has happened. And in fact, so that's justification. The, the moment when you were justified, the moment when you became saved, we know in the future you will be, the Bible uses the word, glorified. We have, we have this hope of resurrection. We have this hope of heaven. We have this hope of literally being made perfect one day in heaven. that we don't quite experience yet. We have the beginning of that because we have a new nature. We're now able to do some good because of what God has done through us in, uh, uh, in Jesus Christ. 
But we're not there yet. Right now, assuming you are a believer, you are in this middle stage where, God willing, you are being made more and more like Christ. We call that sanctification. Jesus didn't really have to go through this process. He was born perfect and lived perfect. And when he died, he was perfect and innocent. And then he rose from the dead and was perfect and ascended to heaven and was perfect. And that's why Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change in that regard, but we do. All kinds of things change all at once. Then there's this process where our new nature is at war with our flesh. But one day we will be delivered even from that. We look forward to that, but this is talking about that middle process. Your flesh wants something. Your flesh wants sin. And I don't know if you showed up this morning hoping to learn something new, But this has got to be the most unsurprising news I could possibly tell you. You know that you're sinful, I hope. I hope I don't need to convince you of that. You know that you do wrong. You know that your wrong has consequences. And even those of you who are believers, I know, still struggle with not just that you do wrong things, but that you actually want the wrong things that you do at least for a moment, at least long enough for you to act on those impulses. And it's frustrating, isn't it? It's so frustrating. And I think I am so drawn to this verse, verse 16. This is one of uh, probably my two favorite commands in the Bible. Because it is a fascinating cause and effect relationship. Do you want to stop gratifying the desires of the flesh? Do you want to stop sinning? The answer is probably yes. And for some of you, the answer is emphatically yes. Because it is so frustrating to live a life of sin. It is so disheartening to sin again and again and again. And to wonder, like, why why can't I stop this? Why doesn't it change? Shouldn't I be different as a believer than I was? And you just look at your life and you wonder, how come I am this way? How come I am so full of sin? And why is my sin so tiring? And this is a recipe for how to not sin. Some of you are analytical in the way that you think. You like some nice analysis. Just tell me, just tell me how. And, and 
Maybe you've asked this question before. Something as basic as, how do I stop sinning? As it turns out, this has the answer. This has a very nice, neat formula for you. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There you go. It's done. How do I stop gratifying the desires of the flesh? Walk by the Spirit. Here's the problem. is If you ask how once, you're probably going to ask how twice. I've read if you give a mouse a cookie, I know that that's how things work. And so how do I walk by the Spirit? If I do that, then I won't do that. And so how do I do this? And that's the question, right? We're going to start to answer that question this morning. And in fact, I think there are, there are, two, there are two kind of general ways in which you walk by the Spirit. We're going to talk about one now and one at the end. Because if you just cheat, go down to verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. As it turns out, the end of our passage is kind of the same as the beginning. So I'm going to give you some now, and I'm going to leave you in suspense for the stuff that's later. But I'm going to give you the fun answer now. Walk by the Spirit. How? Turn to John chapter 3. This is a great passage. John 3.16 is in John chapter 3. I know that's very surprising also. But Nicodemus happens in John 3. They have this fascinating conversation. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, goes to Jesus, asks him, or just tells him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus, I don't even know what he's trying to do, kind of suck up a little bit to Jesus. No one can do these but from God. And Jesus has his own agenda. He just goes right into what he wants to talk about. I'll tell you what, Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is a little bit confused. Like, Jesus, I don't... It's a weird thing to say. Like, can, can you be born again? I don't really think so. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit... He can't enter the kingdom of God. So, this is very important that we figure this out. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you were born of water and of the Spirit. You have to be born of the Spirit. Now, watch this. This is, this is really cool. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We get the exact same contrast in John 3 that we do in Galatians 5 between flesh and spirit. And the, idea, the reason I'm having you turn here is because I think there is a correlation. In order to be saved, you have to be born of the Spirit. In order to be sanctified, you have to walk by the Spirit. And so maybe how the one happens will explain to us how the other happens. Are you with me? And Jesus explains. How? How, Nicodemus? Do not marvel, I said to you, you must be born of the... You must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That has got to be the greatest how ever. I'll tell you how, Nicodemus. You know how the wind blows? No, you don't. Well, no, neither does anyone else. And that's exactly how it works. Thanks, Jesus. I appreciate it. No one knows how to be born of the Spirit. The wind just blows around. The Spirit does whatever it wants. It's 
Sometimes it shows up there and sometimes it shows up somewhere else and we don't really get it. So it is with walking by the Spirit. How do you do it? The wind blows and the Spirit works. But I'll tell you what, you are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit for your sanctification. You are utterly in need of the Spirit to work, to to blow your direction. And you can accomplish that by your own power as well as you can make the wind move around the earth. You need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does whatever He wants. And that is a difficult thing to accept. Don't you think? A lot of you want just this, yeah, but just just tell me how, I'll do it, I don't care how hard it is, I'll work and work and work and it just doesn't matter, whatever I need to do, and that's fine. And you, you need the Holy Spirit. You need something that you cannot control and cannot even understand. Now, I did say that this was a command. And you are told, walk by the Spirit. So there's a sense, I think, in which it's expected that you do something. We're going to talk about that at the end. Right now, I just want to leave you knowing that you cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. You need Him and cannot control Him. That was our command. Walk by the Spirit. A contrast is what we get next. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. At its very core, I think the Christian life is a life of conflict. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have this flesh and this world all around you, and those things are opposed to each other. Two players, two sides, one is light, one is black, and it's hard. They don't, they don't like each other. They cannot get along. Why is it that they can't get along? What is the problem with the flesh's desires and the spirit's desires that they don't coincide? Starting in verse 19, we start to get a more clear picture. Because the works of the flesh are explained. They are evident. And we have this long list, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, etc., etc. We're not really sure if Paul meant for these to sort of be, if he had categories in mind when he listed these. At the very least, we know that this isn't comprehensive because at the end of the list in verse 21, and things like these, this is just kind of a representative list. There's other things kind of like these, but different that you can do, and those are also works of the flesh. But these 
break up, certainly into some categories. Sexual sins are listed at the beginning. Religious sins, idolatry and sorcery. Next, I think, are social sins. Sins that happen between one person and another. And finally, there are, I guess, personal sins. Talking about drunkenness. Something that you can do all by yourself. And these are the works of the flesh. Why are these listed here? I think it's to bring out the contrast. Your flesh wants something. These are the things that you naturally desire in your sinful state. And these are wrong. The fruit of the Spirit is explained as well. I wish we had time to look at a lot of these individually because they're, they're so neat. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you're supposed to compare these things. It's interesting that the word fruit is singular while works is plural. So the works of the flesh are evident. You can, you can do one sin but not do some other sin. It's possible. But the fruit of the Spirit is a unified, cohesive whole. And it is produced in you. It'd be interesting, I, you know, I, I don't know what it would be like if trees could talk. I'd be interested in hearing a conversation. But, ima- like, I just imagine a tree trying really hard to produce fruit. Like, a, what, a just, uh, a bing, apple. But you don't really see that. The tree, I, I don't think the tree knows what it's doing. It just happens to it. Fruit is produced. I think, I think these are listed here. I think they are contrasted so that we can look at ourselves and get a sense of whether we are walking by the Spirit or gratifying the desires of the flesh. Matthew seven sixteen through 18 says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And I, along with Paul, we are, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that salvation is by grace through faith. That your obedience has nothing to do with you being justified. But I think Matthew seven sixteen through 18 and this passage is here to let us know that what happens on the outside of you, the sorts of things that you do, the way that you live, are meant to be evidence of what is inside of you.
healthy tree bears good fruit, cannot bear bad. Disease tree bears bad fruit, cannot bear good. There are so many ways to sin. Sexual immorality is everywhere. You read any statistics about pornography, it's frightening how many people are caught up in that. How many proclaiming Christians are caught up in that. How many Christians are living together or sleeping together out of wedlock and all kinds of different things. I teach uh, weekly in our college and young adults group. And I'll tell you, I, I worry. I am, I'm concerned for everyone there who is dating. I, I want them, you know, date, get married, God willing, one day. But it's so easy to fall into sin, to fall into impurity. And that, that happens. Idolatry and sorcery, there are, as I mentioned before, all kinds of, you can go to all kinds of places of worship and get the exact same false gospel that was happening in Galatia. They will love faith and combine it with good works and try and convince you that by belief and by earning your way, you can make it to heaven, and that's wrong. Social sins are interesting, you ever jealous of anyone? Get wrongfully angry at someone? Are there divisions because of you? Are you jealous? Or do you create strife? These are here so that you can examine yourself. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I don't want you, I want you to understand this correctly. This isn't to say that if you've ever done this once as a believer, then you somehow lost your salvation or it's not to you. The idea here is that, is that of an ongoing pattern. If your life is characterized by these things, as opposed to being characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, And some of you might be sitting there right now thinking, my life is characterized by the deeds of the flesh. And when I look at that list of fruit of the Spirit, I don't see as much of that as I would like. And there is only one answer for that, and that's to repent. As often as you need, as often as you realize my life is not as it should be, repent, turn away from your sin, turn back toward God, and pray that the wind would blow your direction, that the Spirit would move in your heart and allow you to walk by the Spirit. But I think this is here for us to examine our lives. Finally, we have the challenge.
have this contrast, flesh and spirit. They're opposed to each other. They evidence themselves in completely different ways. And so what do we need to do? Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The first thing I think that you need to do in order to walk by the Spirit, in order to have victory over the desires of the flesh, is to remember what you have already done. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Romans 6 is very similar in this regard. It's talking about when that happened. And we, and we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And I love it in verse 6 of, of Romans 6. It's talking about what happened to you. Our old self was crucified with him. In Galatians 5, it's saying something that we did. Everyone who lives by the Spirit, those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh. And both are true. When you were saved, God did something to you. God changed you, changed your old self. But you, I think this is talking about repentance. You have already repented of your sin. You have already turned away from your sinful pride, from every kind of sinfulness, and you have already turned toward God. Do that more. Remember that you've done that. Renew your commitment to pursuing Christ. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. What do you need to do? Keep in step with the Spirit. So now we come to the other side of our how. I left you at the beginning with kind of a difficult thing. You need to do something that you can't do. You need to do something that you're completely dependent on the Holy Spirit on and you cannot control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will just move and work however He wants. But... There are all kinds of verses in the Bible that command you to act. We had one in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Back to Romans 6, verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. You are commanded to do something there. Don't let sin reign. Present your members as instruments of righteousness. Other places in scripture, you're told to do something. Run with endurance. Run so that you will obtain the prize. And there is this tension where you have to do something and you cannot accomplish what you have to do. And I want you to live with that all the time and know that that is not only true, but that it is good. You have to do something. And you're told to walk by the Spirit. This implies, I think, progress. You're walking. You 
you move from one place to another. You're not where you once were. It's a journey and it is active. So what do you do? I I think we have clues in the text. First of all, you're told to walk by the Spirit. But in verse 18, we kind of skipped this when we went over it. I think this is interesting. It's a parallel statement, but it says it different. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So on the one hand, commanded to walk. Two, a description if you are, if you are led. What does it look like to walk and be led at the same time? My in-laws were in town last night. We went to... Um, we went out to dinner, uh, my wife and I and our kids and uh, my wife's parents and their grandma and grandpa. So we got to get dessert, right? That's just, we got to spoil the grandkids. I think that's like a moral obligation. I don't know. Um, and uh, my son's favorite color is green. And so that means his favorite flavor is green. And so mint chip shake is what we got. And we got like a big one. We all shared it. And my son just mowed this thing down as much as we let him. And I don't know what to say other than he's three. He turns into a lunatic when he has sugar. That is, that is just true. And we are walking out and my in-laws have a car seat in their car, so they're going to take home my, my little daughter. And so my wife is going with them to help her get settled. And I'm walking with my son to our car. And we're in the parking lot, so we have to hold hands. Again, he's only three. And he is acting like a lunatic. And he is running. He's got my hand, and he's just like running around me like a tetherball. Uh, you know, eyes closed half the time. My son likes to yell. He's just a loud noise all the time. And so he's just... And running. And that's what we did all through the parking lot on the way back. Now, what's interesting, there are two things that are interesting about this. One, I did not carry my son. He is way too big for that anyway. I'm not picking that kid up. But he walked the whole way acting crazy, running all around. You know what else happened? We ended up at the car. And that is... If you think about how he was walking, that is kind of a miracle into, into, unto itself. How did he end up at the right place? How is this possible? He was being led. He was being led. I, uh, he had quite a bit of leeway. But we were going to get to where I was bringing him to. And I think that is the kind of tension that we have with our lives. We are commanded to walk. Go do it. But we also know that we are being led. And my son, I think really he... He wants to be led. He doesn't, he doesn't know where to go. I've seen him like wander, on, wander into an aisle in the store and he suddenly doesn't see us and he, gets, he starts to cry. This happened multiple times. He wants to be led. He wants to be safe, even if he forgets it sometimes. He's looking for guidance and he is happy to follow. And I think that is the kind of walking that we need to foster in our lives.
I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would produce these. You should desire to be led. You should be happy for guidance. You should be happy for the boundaries that the Bible gives and gladly follow them. Another thing I think this text tells us about how to walk by the Spirit, I think it's inevitable that these deeds of the flesh, you shouldn't do them. That's, that's not surprising, but I don't, I don't want that to get lost. And all of this talk about depending on the Spirit and waiting for the Spirit and praying for the Spirit, I, you need the Spirit, but you need... You need to not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Romans thirteen fourteen says, Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't do it, is what it's saying. That is not the only thing that the Bible says, don't do it, but it does say that. Don't sin. All, this whole list and things like these and everything else in life that you know is wrong, make no provision for it. Run away from it as fast and as hard as you can. Be willing to give up anything in order to sin less. It's so important that repenting of your sin, of killing Sin, it's important that that be a priority in your life, but that you do it in the right way. These fruits of the Spirit, a number of commentaries talk about how these are, they talk about active versus attitude fruits. Some fruits affect your attitude, others affect your actions, and most people talk about these as fruits of attitude. These are mostly kind of what's going on in your, in your head, Truthfully, that seems a little bizarre to me. I, like, really? These aren't, these aren't meant to be active? But I told you I'd tell you my other favorite command in Scripture. Ephesians 5, verse 2 says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love that we are commanded to walk in love. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in love. Have you tried to force yourself to love someone? Seems a little difficult. Uh, to me, that, that honestly seems as impossible as walking in the Spirit. Like, how am I supposed to do that, God, exactly? Just love! <laughs> but you are commanded to do these things. And I think you should try. I think you should work to do exactly these fruit. We know that the Spirit produces them, just like as a tree, you know, a tree can't, ah, fruit. It's the Spirit who has to produce these, but we are commanded to do things that we cannot do on our own. And we have an obligation as Christians to follow through and to work. To work to bear fruit. The last thing comes from outside of this text, but it's something I think about a lot. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on the things above. Romans 8 talks about the importance of your mind. To set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
I think it is so important that we consider where our minds, what our minds are dwelling on throughout the week, throughout our lives. Your mind has a profound effect on your spiritual life. And setting your mind on what is right and good, I think, will help you walk by the Spirit. I think there are few ways, few better ways, to set our mind on what is right than to take the bread and the cup. And that's what we're going to do right now.